This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Nancy French is a four-time New York Times bestselling author who has written books with Sarah Palin, Bristol Palin, The Bachelor star Sean Lowe, and Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson. So Nancy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you're arguably one of the most successful uh, ghostwriters right now with the four New York Times bestsellers. And that's the word I've heard associated with you, a a ghostwriter. And I'm wondering, do you take offense at that word? I wonder if you feel it detracts from your own contributions or is that just part of the package? Oh, no. I, you know, I'm technically supposed to be called a celebrity collaborator. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the euphemism Uh, for it? Yeah, yeah. But but mainly the only reason that people use that phrase is so that it doesn't sound like you're being, um, you know, pushed aside because. Yeah, well, because you don't want because ghostwriting, and if I'm sitting here on a radio interview talking about ghostwriting, ghosts are supposed to be secret. Right. Right. And so you don't want to feel like you're betraying any sort of trust. But my name is, you know, usually on the cover or the spine or, you know, you know, it's not I'm not a secret, but I'm essentially a ghostwriter. And I and I do not take offense of that term at all. I'm, I'm honored to be able to do what I do. How does one get into ghostwriting? <laughs> Well, you drop out of three colleges. Okay, <laughs> check. Um, that's the first step. And then, uh, no, that's, I just, I just started writing. I wrote two books. Um, Winston Churchill has a great quote. Um, he said, I am the writer of great, I am the writer of rare books. I just never intended them to be rare. <laughs> and so I, I wrote two books under my own name. Um, and uh, one of them sold you know, modestly well. And then the other one didn't sell very well at all. But in the process, Anne Romney read one of my books and um, Sarah Palin read that same book. And um, I got connected to them because, of, you know, just through my writing. And they were, um, Anne Romney gave me my first chance. Um, she asked me to jump on the campaign bus in 2008. And we tried to um, write a book. Uh, it was going to be used during the the campaign, but it obviously they lost, and uh, that nothing ever came of the book. But it got got me going on the path of celebrity collaboration, mm-hmm. and um, then after the Romney um, sort of disappointment, you know, writing, spending all that time writing and not having a book ever hit the shelf. Yeah, um, I was contacted by the vice president of Harper Collins. Who had who asked me if I was interested in writing a you know a very young person's book, um, and I they wouldn't tell me who it was, and so I said definitely, even though I had just adopted a child from Africa like six months ago. Um, you have she, enough on your plate. Yeah. I had enough on my plate. I sort of thought I would give it up, give up my writing career because it wasn't. Honestly, it wasn't that great. And I wanted to, you know, be able to help my uh, daughter from Africa learn how to, you know, learn English. And um, and so when I got the call, it was so random. 
I thought, well, I'll just keep my hat in this, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep my eyes on this and see if it's an opportunity. So I said that I would be willing to talk to that celebrity. And at the time I thought it was Miley Cyrus because mm-hmm. I uh, live in her County, you know, cause we're here in Tennessee near the, mu- you know, near music city. And I yeah. thought, well, maybe, you know, why else would they call me? I- I'm in rural Tennessee, but it turned out to be Bristol Palin. And, um, which was a huge shock. Um, and, and what year said, was this? This is 2008 th- as well? This was about probably 2010. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. a couple of years after the campaign then. Yeah. yeah. So I had, had sort of a book under a sort of a celebrity collaboration under my belt, but not really. Like I hadn't done anything. And so, um, I got to talk to Bristol Palin on the phone and, uh, we did an interview and, uh, it was a very funny interview because she was at Walmart with Trip on her hip, and um, <laughs> I was in my car trying to pretend like I didn't have children uh, because <laughs> I, I understood that uh, having children seemed like a disadvantage because they wanted me to travel very soon mm-hmm. to Alaska. And so I jumped in the car, and I was trying to, you know, my kids were at home. I think it was a <laughs> snow day. And anyway, so I, I got the job, and within three days, I was in Alaska, and I lived with Sarah Palin for a month in her house as we collaborated on Bristol's book. Um, Nancy, I didn't know you and I had so much in common. I have also met Ann Romney. We're very yes. Cl- I, in my life before this, I worked on a ranch, and she and Mitt came out in Montana. We were talking about that before we no were idea. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Were you out there with the, um, were you out there with her when she was, uh, when she had, when she, her multiple sclerosis had really acted up and she was learning how to ride on her horse or was it maybe later? Yeah. Um, it was in ooh, two th- summer of 2008 and I okay. was working on a different ranch and I, I got work like in a kitchen and a nearby ranch. I, I don't, this is a weird life I've lived <laughs> and Mitt Ron- it was at, um, a guy who owned the property is really big in the beef company, beef company, beef industry, owns this gorgeous piece of land, and Mitt and Ann Romney came out every summer for, like, this big conservative shindig thing. And I met her, and she was very nice, and she's wearing a cute little American flag jacket, and she told <laughs> me that I was a really good dancer. So Look at that. Look at that. Basically, I'm <laughs> famous, and... You told me that. <laughs> I can't believe she didn't tell you about me. <laughs> So, so when you're living, when you're living in Alaska for a month, wait, you don't want to talk about my life I, in Montana I, anymore? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I can't believe we would have more than ten seconds about Montana <laughs> in any conversation. We're coming back to mules later. <laughs> <laughs> when you're living for a month uh, with Sarah Palin, with the Palin family and stuff, what's that collaborative process like with Bristol? Like, how do you learn to channel her voice? How do you guys? What's the difference between you know talking to her to get the information you need? and then writing it down uh, for what later became her book? Well, we just sat and talked and talked and talked, and I recorded every word she said. And then I transcribed every word she said. And, um, and then you sort of shape that into a book. And also, she had written a lot of, um, you know, in your life, you might send a lot of text or keep a lot of emails. She had all that sort of, um, you know, that digital data um, that sort of you could trace, you know, the, the stories of her life through those types of text and emails. And so Bristol being as young as she was, um, we texted a lot. I mean, even if, you know, if we spent almost all, t- all the months together, but um, if she was upstairs and I was downstairs, we'd text, you know. And so when, <laughs> when you're actually texting, that's actual words that you can just copy and put into, into a document. So anyway, yeah, we, a lot of times, um, depending on the person, 
um, you know, they have more or less influence on, or they do more or less um, of the actual writing. Like I did a great book called God's God's Double Agent by Bob Fu, Shi Shu Fu. He's a, a Chinese political dissident. And um, English was not his native tongue. And so he didn't, he wasn't able to write a word, mm -hmm. even though he was very um, talented as a writer in China. Um, so I felt it was a big honor for me to be able to take his story and to put it into English for him in a beautiful way. Um, and so it just depends on who, what author you're dealing with. Um, when you're talking about how little or how much they're actually writing. Is this a process you developed over, you know, doing this sort of collaboration over time? The I'll tr record it, I'll transcribe it, and then finesse it into a book? Or is that something you kind of did for the first time there? Like, where do you learn how to do that? I never learned... I, you know, I never learned until I did it. And so um, my friend Nathan Whitaker, who um, is the celebrity collaborator for um, <laughs> uh, Tim Tebow and uh, Tony Dungy yeah. and others, um, he and he gave me a tip on, you know, just a certain kind of recording device to use. And um, we had like an hour conversation before I flew to Alaska. Actually, he was doing the Tebow book as I was in Alaska. So we would call and commiserate, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. compare notes. But yeah, um, yeah no, it's just if you if um, you write down everything that somebody says and then put it in a story form and clean up the grammar. Um, it's, it, you know, it's just, it's pretty fun. I mean, you can get everything their 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 inflections, their, you know, their unique words. Um, you know, occasionally I was, I always accidentally stick a y'all into every book that I do. <laughs> and so, uh, the, the Chinese political dissident was like, Hmm, I don't think I use that word. <laughs> What's the Chinese but, translation for that one? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's just a, it's an interesting process, but I've gotten to know and love so many really interesting people. Is it hard to kind of start that relationship because that feels like something that's really intimate if you're writing about like somebody's whole life and is, reading their love notes and things yeah, like that. Yeah, is that hard to build that or do you, you know, you clearly are very, a very personable person and that probably makes it easier, do you think? Well, I have made so many mistakes and honestly, these books are about mistakes. So if you look at any book, you know, I, I think that you should not write books in order to make your brand better or to get across certain political points. I think those are boring. And so every time I sit down with an author, I have the same talk. I say, you have royally screwed up in your life, and so have I. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have to tell everybody all of our junk, but we should be honest and truthful in, in the way that we present our stories. Um, without an eye to make us necessarily look better, but to tell the true story and to, and most of the people so far that I've written for are Christians. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of have a different uh, view on, on the, on maybe, I don't know if, if we do have a different view or not, but I'll tell you what the view is <laughs> um, that it's God's story and you don't have to make yourself look better because it is what it is, and he's doing what he's doing. And so you can have a very God-glorifying story that makes you look like an abject idiot. But if it's, if it's God-glorifying, then it's very valuable and beautiful to be honest about the things that you've done. With that kind of 
when you say that, what it makes me think of is like a photographer trying to capture what like, you know, not like a glamour shot, but what somebody really looks like and all their imperfections. Is that kind of how you look at it? Yeah, but with the idea that people with their imperfections are very beautiful. Right, exactly. Yeah. And You're so, not like, photoshopping the image. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to be tempted to do that. Like, even in my own books, like, if you read my books, which I'm sure you have not, since only my immediate, <laughs> Sorry. My immediate family, my immediate family has. No That's dead. cool. My parents haven't read anything I ri- I've written either. It's <laughs> Ditto. <all about. laughs> but, you know, when you're writing, you have this tendency to make yourself um, look better than you are. Yeah. And, um, you know, like even in this interview, you know, like if I'm good for an interview, maybe for lunch, the more you get to know me, I, you'll see all of the various imperfections and flaws that are obvious to my friends and family. Um, and so instead of instead of leading with this perfection that doesn't actually exist, you lead with the brokenness. So my favorite first line of any book that I've done is Bristol Palin's. Mm-hmm. And um, the first line of her book is I lied to my mother. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing that she did that caused her to go down a path where she ended up, um, you know, having some very bad decisions that changed the rest of her life. Right. And everybody knows that, you know, we make mistakes. Everybody knows what, Bristol, what Bristol's mistakes were. And so why don't you just start out the book saying, OK, here it is. Yeah, just lay it out there. We already know people are thinking this, so I might as well put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And kind so. of um, speaking about the Palins, like clearly Sarah Palin was a very polarizing figure on the political scene. And you've, you're somebody who has spent time with her personally, whereas the most of us have just kind of seen what she's said on TV and in speeches. Is there yeah. something we're all getting wrong about Sarah or is it just a matter of like we, you know, she's put out who she is and take it or leave it? I honestly think you probably have a good feel for her. <laughs> you know, really? Like, yeah, like I I wasn't surprised when I met her. When I met her, I anticipated, um, you know, I wasn't sure. But the the opinion that I had of her before I went to Alaska was only um, solidified when I got to live with her. Of course, my opinion of her was very high. Sure, <laughs> sure. I, uh, but she Alaska, was, so. she <laughs> ended up, she ended up being who you thought she was for better or for worse. I mean, yes. good for her, and, right? right. Yeah, like, no, she, she was very kind. I mean, they're they're very kind and down to earth and, you know, eat at the same restaurants that, yeah, I don't know what kind of restaurants y'all eat at. Right. Really, really fancy ones. Yeah. And just very loving and kind and down, the, down to earth. And, um, you know, I Sean Lowe, who's America's favorite bachelor, whose yeah. book is on shows now, um, he <laughs> said that on, you know, everyone says that the camera – you know, the, the people on The Bachelor show, actually, if they seem bad on the show, they're bad. If they seem good on the show, they're good. Because mm-hmm. after, the, the camera doesn't really lie. Um, and that was his opinion on reality TV. I think it's slightly different with politics. Because after I've spent so much time with the Palins and the Romneys, I know that it is very difficult to get the true story past a media that has its own agenda. And so when when I went to the Palins, for example... I had a lot of misconceptions about things that happened. Like I would say, oh, well, this must have happened because I can read about it and here's a picture. And I know that this is true because here's the newspaper article that I've read. I've done research about this incident. And they would look at it and they'd say, "Uh, 
that's a photoshopped photo. Right. Can't you tell? You know, mm-hmm. that's a fake that's a fake article that never happened. And I'm not the least I may sound like it, but I'm not the least sophisticated person on the planet. Um, and then to realize that I'd been fooled sure. by, you know, the media, it was a little discomforting. But um, I had a high uh, opinion of them before I went, and I have an even higher opinion now. And the same way with the Romneys, I, I love both families so much. Let me so let me bring up because this is this is I'm sure people are wondering this like if we're interviewing you, this is something they're gonna <laughs> ask us about anyway. So we'll get it out there. Um, okay. Yes, Sarah Palin. <laughs> Obviously, we probably have a lot of disagreements about in terms of her politics. With the Romneys, I disagree with his politics. I don't really have as much of a problem with uh, the persona he's, he's projected in nice general. Guy. Right. My yes, personal yeah. friend. But here's the question. Like, is there anything you could say to, I guess, our audience um, that might change our view of, of Sarah Palin? Um, yeah. Is there anything we don't know about her that might change any negative connotation we have with her name? Probably not. I mean, to be completely honest, I think, I think it's, I think you, you hate her or you love her. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's interesting because they're not, the Palins and the Romneys are not that different in terms of their ideological positions. It's, it's mostly just their personalities and the way that they, they do things. Um, I'm not sure. I, I get, I get a lot of uh, pushback on, you know, I get this question a lot and I always feel like if people hate Sarah Palin, they would probably hate me. Um, but I'm not sure if that's the case. Like, I think, I have think you found that, that? Have you found that to be true? Well, I have. It depends. Like, if, if I gave you a list of my beliefs, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and you just evaluated them and sent them back and with red marks on them, right. you probably wouldn't like me that much. But I have found, um, and actually, um, through Pathios. So, um, Pathios is a really amazing place because you have this opportunity to speak to people like we are now um, with whom we have huge ideological differences. And it's a really unique opportunity because it used to be that you would disagree with your neighbor about politics. But now because the geographic and ideological segregation that has happened naturally over the past, you know, three decades, has made it almost impossible to have a conversation that's meaningful with people that you don't agree with. Yeah. And so, you know, what we're doing right now, I think if you sat down with Sarah Palin, you would love her. And you I, know, I don't disagree with yeah. you at all. No, I'm I sure I, I'm, I think Jess feels the same way. I think I having those conversations in person and when it's away from sound bites and stuff. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that would happen a lot. And we've had those conversations on this show Take with, the words out of my with mouth. people we fundamentally disagree with a lot of things about, Yeah, but I would totally go get a beer with. Right. And right. it would be a blast. Right. Yeah. Mules. <laughs> and that's, and that's one of the reasons why I love books. Um, Sarah Palin's uh, most recent book that dealt with um, Christmas, um, Good Tidings and Great Joy was a wonderful, I think, even um, killed book that was beautiful and full of truth and full of grace. And it focused on freedom, which I think all of us should be able to unite behind freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, you know, so I can't speak to her whole body of work, but I know that every interaction I've had with her has been full of grace and truth and um, kindness. Um, you just don't get to see that. I have a, I have the honor of being able to see these people up close. And so it's just, it's hard to see through, see from a distance, I guess. Uh, so Nancy, when I found out you were coming on the show, I was uh, chatting with a couple of my coworkers and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to be talking to, you know, the ghostwriter of, of 
like a couple of the Palin's books and their first question was like, oh, does is she like ideologically and politically aligned with them or is she not? And I was like, oh, I should have done research before I told you this because <laughs> I have no idea. I'm curious kind of what I thought about it was like, I don't know if somebody paid, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer myself. And if somebody was like, hey, Jess, I will pay you X amount of money to write for somebody you don't agree with. I would totally take up on that offer because it's a, I know, it's a job. It's a job. How do you feel about that? Like, would you, if Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or Hemant asked you to write a book about their life, would you be like, you know, it's a job or would you feel uncomfortable? Well, it's interesting you bring up Hillary Clinton. Um, when it leaked that she was doing another book, um, I got a call from some big publisher saying, we have another celebrity. It's another political memoir. Uh, we're not going to tell you who it is, but we want to put your name in the hat. Would you be willing? Yeah. And I was um, hoping that, I mean, it was insane. Hillary Clinton would have to be drunk to hire me to write a memoir <laughs> because yeah. I am a conservative evangelical, you know, person, uh, Republican. Um, but it, I was thinking if Hillary Clinton, I would love to tell her story. I mean, think of the drama and, you know, being the most powerful woman. Right. Uh, one of the most powerful women in the world and facing the things that she's faced. If she would want if she wanted to tell a true memoir, you know, like to really, you know, as I said, I'm not interested in brand management, but right. in really telling the story of what's happened. I would love to do that. I, I want to get I would love to tell, like, for example, Kobe Bryant. I would love to tell. Oh, his yeah. story. <laughs> He's yeah. not a, Christ, a Christian guy, but um I would love to tell his story. His he has an amazing story. I um so there's there are some there are some stories that I would love to tell. There are other stories, however, that I have been approached to tell that I've turned down because I did not believe in their message. Mm-hmm. So I have to be honest, I'm not like for example, there was one person who'd been married and divorced seven times. And I don't have a problem like you know it's very likely that you could get married and divorce legitimately for, you know have a bad string of luck but it didn't seem that I, I didn't want to get into the stories of why I was wrong seven different times by seven different <laughs> oh my God, I'm dying right. of curiosity right now <laughs> I know and yeah. then there are other other people who like maybe some famous celebrities who just come out of divorces and they want to have these like I am woman hear me roar um, I didn't need him anyway type stories. I'm not interested in that type of story because I don't feel that right after you get a divorce is the right time to tell your story. Yeah, um, it needs a little bit of time to reflect. But but yeah. to be fair, if you wrote with a Bachelor star, and that's not exactly like a tale as old as time classic love story. Yes, but I, you know, it's interesting. That is, the book is not a love story. So that book is called For the Right Reasons. Um, and, um, it's the story of what happened when his sister submitted, um, Sean Lowe's name to the, um, show and all the way through the, the marriage. So, I mean, the wedding. So I got to go to the bachelor wedding and I got to bring my Iraq war vet veteran husband as my plus one. (laughs) Um, and so that's not a tale as old as time, but it's also not a sad tale. So like, if you're, if you're talking about divorce, which would necessarily, um, you know, talk about failure and your your spouse's failure. I don't want to be in the middle of that. But talking about a wedding that, you know, that's a that's a success. Now, it doesn't mean that the people um, that I've written books for are going to live these amazing moral lives. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that any of the stuff that we write about will last. Um, but what it does mean 
is that this is a really good story. And at this moment in time, here it is. Um, and God continues to write our stories with ups and downs. And um, I do not feel responsible for anything that happens after, you know, our last page. Mm-hmm. So you said you wrote uh, Sarah Palin's, uh, you collaborated with Sarah Palin on Good Tidings and Great Joy, which I've I've read. You were kind enough to send me a copy of it. And oh. it has a lot of stuff in there that, <laughs> About atheists. And he was how, so excited when he got your book. He called I me. Was. He's like, I got it. I'm going to read it. It's going to be great. <laughs> and it I had a, didn't Sarah Palin sign it for you? She did. She was kind enough to sign it. It was, yeah. uh, no one can believe that I'm actually excited to have that book, but I really am. No, it wasn't um, ironic excitement. It was yeah. sincere. Uh, and she writes a lot about, you know, atheists armed with lawyers and how we're kind of going against the freedom That's of me. religion. Yeah. Yes, well, here's, yes. here's the question I have. Um, that book got a lot of criticism, as I'm pretty sure anything Sarah Palin writes would get a lot of criticism. How do sure. you react to the criticisms of these books? Because, I mean, they're not criticizing your, the writing. They're criticizing the things she says in there. And I'm wondering how personally you take those things. Oh, What's yeah. your reaction when you see those reviews and, and uh, commentaries on it? Oh, I take it super personally. <laughs> I really do. Um, I Just to be honest, so... Um, yeah, because I stand by every word of that book. I mean, like I because we that is a very well researched book. And, um, you know, like it's I'm I really take care in these books. So I, at some point, it'd be interesting to talk to you about the stuff in there that might sound off to you. Right. Um, recently, I had a conversation with Dale uh, McGowan, the atheist channel manager. Yeah. Um, we met in Denver. Right. And. And uh, we had a very interesting conversation and our conversation sort of shed some light on why maybe if you're if you're similar to Dale, why some of those things would raise uh, your eyebrow. Um, But I I, I think that it would be an interesting conversation to have. But I do. But I I stand by everything that are that are in these books. When you say you stand by it, just to clarify, what are you standing by? I mean, it's one thing about the facts and the research. But like, do you mean her opinions as well? Well, I mean, I I don't know all of her opinions, so right. you know, so I have a very limited uh, effect on these people. <laughs> these, <laughs> they, they live their lives independently of me, sadly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so like whatever's in that book, I think is right and true. Okay. Now, it, it, you know, there might be a tonal difference, but I don't think there's a really bad tone in that book. Now, angry atheists with lawyers obviously exist. Um, what? <laughs> What uh, Dale told me in Denver yeah. was that it's a very small percentage of you guys. Right. And, and I would agree with him on that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And w- it, that was my question to Dale. So this yeah. is, this I'm is too me and my for a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. So I said, I said to, to Dale, I said, um, you know, what is it about atheists that you think I misunderstand that you would like for me to know? And that's yeah. what he told me. He oh, said that's that interesting. It's, yeah. He said that I that I don't understand that there's a very small minority of people who are following these lawsuits um, and that everybody else would just really rather live peacefully. Um, and so, but that, but interestingly, the things that are in her book are based on actual cases. Um, and so we didn't make it up, you know, we didn't try to take a stereotype and, and beef it up. We were taking actual cases and talking about the cases. So both, I can see where that would be both off-putting right. and upsetting if you feel like you're being unfairly stereotyped. But that's the type of thing that I think it's really fun to talk about. Right. No, absolutely. Well, and this is the question then. So when you see the criticism of these ideas that she's putting forth that, in a sense, you're putting forth as well, mm-hmm. um, 
do you do you go out and search for these reviews? I mean, obviously, if if the book is out, you want to know what people are saying. But uh, what is what is your reaction to them? Is it just like, no, these people don't get it? Or is it ever like, well, maybe I should have explained that more clearly or anything like that? Well, I have incredible confidence in my writing yeah. ability to explain <laughs> stuff. So, like, I really, I really have taken great care. I mean, yeah. I'm a three time college dropout, you know. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm this rhetorical queen. Um, but I know that Sarah Palin takes great care in her words in in these books, and so in Bristol and Sean and Sean Johnson and Shishu Fu, everybody, re- we really labor over these books. So, like, for example, when uh, Sarah's book came out within 30 minutes of it hitting Amazon. <laughs> it had, you know, a thousand five star reviews, which could not be true, and a thousand <laughs> one star reviews, which could not be true. Right? right. And they I haven't read the looked, book. <laughs> yeah, and I bet if you looked to this day, it is exactly half and half. I mean, who yeah. knows? Right. But I don't, and I don't actually read any of the reviews because people will bring me all of the criticism that you could process <laughs> in a life. Um, like I tweeted something yesterday that, I mean, I got so much hate about, and it's about, uh, it, I got hate from, from my people over a tweet that I did last night. Cause I was talking about incarceration, incarceration rates of, uh, black people. Right. Which and, they talked uh, about on the Oscars. On the Oscars. So yeah. I yeah. just tweeted out something about that. People went nuts. And so, <laughs> you know, these days you don't have to, um, go searching for insults. Right. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's start some controversy here for a second. Oh, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lynn Vincent, you, you said you wrote Good Tidings and Great Joy with Sarah Palin. There's another yes. uh, conservative Christian writer, Lynn Vincent, who wrote Going Rogue with Sarah uh-huh. Palin. Are you two like super enemies? Because Ooh, let's yeah. let's start some stuff yeah, here. Yeah, throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, we're like the Crips and the Bloods. Right, right. Is that the case? <laughs> no, no. She, I think she actually... No, I don't know, Lynn. Yeah. She... I am not a super ghostwriter. She is the probably, I mean, I, she has to be the most prominent ghostwriter. I mean, I guess ghosts aren't out there talking about everything. But, right. Um, but she also yeah, wrote she, uh, Colton Burpo's book, Heaven is for Real, I believe. Uh, right. Yeah, she's written, you know, probably half the books you know, on the bookshelves at Book, Books A Million. So, <laughs> yeah. no, I don't, I don't know her, but I'm sure she's lovely. Okay. Um, so you mentioned um, in passing uh, that you wrote with Sean Johnson as well, whom I yes. adore. I love the Olympics and I love gymnastics and I love Sean Johnson. When you go to write a book about an athlete as opposed to like a public figure like Bristol, like do you start from similar places? Do you kind of have a thought of everybody's human and I just want to tell their story? Or do you yes. – is it different? No, it's not different at all. I think all stories are the same. They all start with brokenness. So, like, I went to Sean Johnson, and I thought, what, what's the worst moment of your life? That's where we're starting. Mm. Hmm. That's tough. Doesn't this sound fun? Oh, my God. I, I, I mean, it sounds, like you would hear, it sounds like you would hear, yeah, a, a ton of stuff. How much is left on the cutting room floor with all of these people? Okay, so... <laughs> A lot. So I'm do- I'm doing a book, a book that's coming up because I just don't want to be dishonest. And so when I when I write, I tell people I was like you. I'm like their priest or their bartender or their best friend. <laughs> I'd pick your, you know, pick pick which category I would fall into. Like Ann Romney, I probably wouldn't be her bartender, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but you have to tell me everything because you. I don't want to lie. So like if you didn't, if you did something really bad. And I write an entire chapter not knowing about it, which makes my chapter sort of false. Oh. Yeah. That, that's not good. So tell me whatever that horrible thing is. 
and uh, we can pray for forgiveness. And then we can write a true chapter without having to tell people our business. You can obscure things. Because, you know, people don't want to know all your junk. Right. But, um, but you have to be able to write honestly. And so, you know, that's the tact I take for every book is just tell me the, the truth. So I did that recently with a book that's coming up that I shall not explain who it is. Sure. And, I, you know, just tell me everything. And so help me. She told me everything. We were so depressed for a week. Um, And and it's going to be a a book, you know, about politics. So it's not something that's necessarily all of this stuff necessarily should be in the book, Mm -hmm. but it helps inform. So if you've been a victim of some sort of abuse, or if you've been in this terrible, terribly dramatic situation, it helps inform your personality. Um, And so, yeah, so I just, I I feel like I'm sort of carrying people's burdens as we do the books. Mm -hmm. It's got to be freeing and relieving in a sense for them, too, to kind of get it out there. Yeah, it's very cathartic. And the way that I look at it, because I'm so I'm so connected and also disconnected, I can send them emails and say, you do realize this. And I can point out these overarching sort of themes to their lives Mm. or ironies or, you know, uh, just things that they've never seen. And they'll and they'd say, oh, I've never even thought of that before. And it'd be so blatantly obvious uh, to any observer. So you function so as a therapist in a sense, too. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm that talented, but, uh, <laughs> I wish, uh, but yeah, it's super fun. Do you ever get pushback on that? You know, if you're saying to somebody like, okay, I'm not going to necessarily air your dirty laundry, but I also, I also need to know about it. Do they ever say, like, do you get pushback? Not really, but I really carefully select my books now. Mm-hmm. In fact, I... I'm, I'm not sure how long I'll do this. I, I'm doing a book right now that's about a murder. And um, it's a story. It was in the New York Times. It's a story of um, someone, a, a man shot his fiance, a 19-year-old fiance um, in, in Florida. And I'm doing the um, victim's, the victim's mother wants to write a book because she forgave the killer. And um, wow. it was, yeah, and it's this beautiful story of forgiveness and restorative justice and about the criminal justice system being broken. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're going to talk about some really hefty, um, serious topics. But as the mother of a teenager myself, a teenage girl myself, I have been stricken with just a heaviness over this book. Um, I just got back from Florida where I got to uh, go to the prison and visit with um, the person who pulled the trigger. And um, it was heavy on all counts. And I'm not sure how many times you can take on the personality of someone else without losing your bearings. Um, So I don't know how Lynn Vincent does it. I've done about 12. I'm not sure how long I can can do it. Sure. Do you write them in first person? Yes. So instead of saying he shot, you know, instead of saying um, she, her daughter was shot, it's my daughter was shot. Mm. And I almost cannot even say those words, let alone, you know, be in that mindset for months and months and months as I try to absorb the feelings of what that must have been like for them. Um, let me move on to a, a happier topic then. Uh, you worked. You worked. You and your husband worked on Mitt Romney's campaign. At least, maybe I don't know if as staffers, but you supported him and you founded a group called Evangelicals for Mitt. And I'm wondering, yes. was there any conflict? I mean, obviously you got over it, but was there any conflict between your evangelical Christian faith and his family's Mormon faith? Yes. When my husband came home to our Philadelphia apartment and said that he'd found a presidential candidate that he wanted to support. This, by the way, was in 2005. Yeah. Um, 
and he said his name is Mitt Romney, and I was familiar with him, and he got to the point where he said, and he's a Mormon. And I said, oh, too bad. I will never vote for a Mormon. <laughs> right. Um, so what happened? So yeah, well, you know, I sort of started thinking more clearly about the subject. Um, what I thought was very tribal, you know, like if you are like me, then you must be really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, now I almost think the opposite because I know my own heart. Um, but, um, but with the, the Romneys, with the Mormon situation, what my husband, my husband is super smart and super kind and super patient. And we sort of talked through it. Um, and he said that we do not, you do not vote for someone because they align, because they're the most Christian candidate. Mm-hmm. For example, in, in, um, when Jimmy Carter was running against uh, Ronald Reagan, you had a Baptist Sunday school teacher who was running against a Hollywood actor who was divorced and whose, whose current wife used astrology. Right. And so if you just put that down on paper, a Christian person who was reasonable would vote for Jimmy Carter. But Jimmy Carter did not necessarily reflect the values that I hold as a Christian in terms of being pro-life and other things. And so we never historically have voted for the quote unquote most Christian candidate. Mm-hmm. Now there's so, but there there are some theologies that would probably um, be deal breakers. For example, if somebody belonged, this is absurd, but if someone belonged to the hypothetical Church of Killing uh, Canadians, <laughs> um, you know they that would I assume that if 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 I voted for that person that we would not have similar political beliefs because that I don't necessarily believe in killing all Canadians. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so, the, you know, so there's some, there, there are some religions that probably would have rel- uh, tenets to their faith that would be contrary to the tenets of my faith, right. but Mormonism is not one of them. And so we would just, inc- so we, we were on the front lines telling evangelicals that they are, that Mormons were our co-belligerents um, and, and fighting for the values that we deeply care about. And in fact, I wrote, I think I wrote an article called um, In Good Conscience, Can Christians Vote for Episcopalians or Methodists or Baptists? Because Mormons invariably are better in terms of the, the issues of the day in politics than any of us are. Mm. So there are some religious deal breakers, but his Mormonism wasn't one of them. Right. But if you, if we kept walking that line out, what if an atheist candidate, but who politically aligned with you in every way was running against, say, Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, where where would you find yourself, do you think? I'd have evangelicals for atheists, whoever. Really? Yeah. That's, I mean, this I, is I, a... No, good for... I mean, that's... This is a thing we've had to deal with all the time because there are no big political candidates who are atheists. So we find ourselves having to vote for someone we may theologically disagree yeah. with, but hopefully... A lot of our values are in line, which is hard to find in general. But right, but also nor right. like if there was an atheist running for president who didn't believe reflect in our it, views, right? Then I wouldn't feel right. obligated. But I, yeah, you hope atheism yeah. isn't the first reason you're electing a president. Right, it's like <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. But I hope let's see what their agenda is. Right, right, and I, it, you know, and I'd be out there. So like when I, we were out there on the front lines of this. We got so much hate mail from people that you would think would be our best friends. And invariably, we'd get hate mail from people who'd say, you, are, you don't care about this nation. You, and of course, my husband is in Iraq at right. the time. Oh, God. Uh, you're, you're not patriotic. Yeah. You don't know anything about God. Um, we hate you. We wish you'd just shut up so that America could be better. And then they'd have one of those automatic signature lines. And it'd be like, <laughs> Bible um, verse. In, in Christian love. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I've gotten those emails, too. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so it's just awful. 
when you're part of a campaign and your your whole family is invested so heavily in Mitt Romney winning uh, the presidency in 2012, what happens? And, and I say ask this because I haven't been part of a campaign before like no, this. What happens when your candidate loses when you think this is the best person for the nation? Well, it's really profoundly depressing. Sure. And there are pictures of us from the AP. We were at the in Boston when he lost, and we'd worked for literally eight years yeah. on, on this. And so our kids, for all of their memory, had been a part of God. this this effort. And so there's a picture of all of our family, except Naomi, who was uh, too little to bring. And we yeah. were all weeping. And so people still Instagram <laughs> pictures oh, no. of my son weeping all oh, over the place. But, that's awful. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's just profoundly, profoundly disappointing. And it takes a whole lot to get over. Um, but it's, it's good. I mean, I really think as a Christian that it is helpful. Failure is super helpful because it, uh, it there's nothing that I can do that's going to save the world. And there's nothing that Mitt Romney is going to do to save the world. And so it re- is very helpful to to realize where you're placing your hope. And if you're placing your hope in politics, which is what I honestly confessionally did for eight years, then it is misguided and it would be just as empty than had he won. You know, I really wish he had won. I think he would have been an amazing president. Um, but you just you just have to comfort yourself knowing that, um, you know, you're you don't put your faith in chariots or horses or presidents or Mormon presidential candidates or, <laughs> you know, evangelical presidential candidates that you have to put your trust in God. Were you disappointed that uh, Mitt Romney said recently he wasn't going to run in 2016? I was more disappointed than I thought oh, right. I would have <laughs> honestly. Okay. I was, yeah, because I, he, he had, he, you know, he'd said, no, I'm not going to run, I'm not going to run. And then he surprised everybody and said he was, you know, he was thinking about right. it. So I was on that call. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, this is not going to happen. And then when he said, this is not going to happen, I was so depressed. Sure. Um, yeah, but I just, yeah, I'm, I don't have anybody to back. I'm going to be a political orphan this time, but it's going to be fun because that means I can uh, criticize everybody. Right. <laughs> is that is that the fact that you're probably not going to support anyone, at least with your time? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Is that, a, is that a result of the disappointment you felt in 2012? Or is it because the slate of candidates who are out there right now for Republicans, none of them really moves you to support them? Well, I don't believe in anybody right now. Like yeah. there's nobody, there's nobody that's, you know, coming, you know, of course, Sarah Palin said that she might run for president. So I'm not, I, I believe, you know, I believe in her. I think she's wonderful, but I would nobody. get behind that. A Sarah Palin <laughs> I would totally be fine with her running. Yes, I think sure that would be good for my side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, she, you know, you, did you see her on Saturday Night Live, how she sort of poked fun at that? I did. I, and like, she did a nice job on that show. I have a lot of yeah. respect for people who can go on and like watch somebody make fun of them. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't do it. She's I mean, a great sport when it yeah. comes to comedy shows. But also Tina yeah, was so she's great. Yeah. She's great. But yeah, so I'm not sure who's going to run, but I, I haven't found anybody that um, is, you know, a, who looks like they're actually preparing to run that, um, that really excites me. And mm-hmm. I honestly, I have three kids and a career, you know, I, I did the whole Romney thing just because I really believed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if I really believed in something again, I would, I would do it again. I think it's important to uh, fight for your beliefs and to, to put effort there, even if it's a failure. One last question for you, which is, uh, you're a huge fan of Survivor, which I am too. Uh, yeah. And 
that's the reaction I get from everybody I say that to. <laughs> what do you think about the uh, the new season with the white collars and blue collars and no collars? Oh my gosh! No, I see. I don't even know this. I have I have a book deadline on March first, and then one on <laughs> May first. See, so nobody I, watches it, Hemant. Everyone watches it. No, I'm so so sorely um, sad to disappoint you. <laughs> Got it. I, do you do you have a... too much The Bachelor? Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Can you get Hemant on the show? Can you get me on the show? You probably know Mark Burnett, right? He's a Christian. <laughs> Oh, by the way, my husband, David French, Harvard law grad, yeah. Iraq war vet, tried out for Survivor. Did I tell you this? How did that work out? I mean, he's not, <laughs> he wasn't on the show, but how did that go? Uh, well, he was at Cornell. He, he was teaching at Cornell Law School. He hired the Cornell film crew. Yeah. To, um, <laughs> Tape his audition <laughs> video? Do, yes. And his, uh, his audition video was um, Law is War. And he did like his law class, like a WWF commercial. Oh, I love and it. And so he like took a he took up a chair and like broke it over one of his students' um, desk. <laughs> and so he and that was I think it was going to be the Survivor Africa where Colby was yeah. um, a contestant and won I think. And um, sadly, <laughs> so early in not, the Survivor run. Yeah. So yeah. If he had. If I tell him that if he had been a contestant on Survivor, he would forever be known as the contestant who stole the beef jerky. Or <laughs> Season two. I remember it well. Oh it's yeah, sad yeah. that I know this. So I'm very thankful that he did not go on Survivor, um, but he is sorely disappointed. It is his biggest disappointment. I think. It is mine, too. I submitted my audition tape like when this show when I think when I turned 18, I submitted an audition tape. They did not select me. I didn't That's get a call back. And now I need my way in. And I don't know what wait, that wait. is. Wait, wait. I know your way in. You've got to oh, take Jesus. your clothes off. Oh. <laughs> then <laughs> I don't know why yeah, she's I'm laughing so much, but... <laughs> I, no, it's a serious thing. You know, you look. I know. I know you're right. <laughs> yeah. So just do you know do some uh, some workout, get yeah. some yeah. abs. Yeah. 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 That's it. Abs. That's gonna happen. Hemet, if you get on Survivor, I will take good care of the site. I'll take good care of the podcast. We'll carry on without you. I would stop everything I'm doing and go on that show. I, know I don't you care would. what I'm doing. All right. That would be awesome. I would support you. Thank you, Nancy. Evangelicals for Hemet. That would be awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, plug your books on the show notes. And you also are the managing editor of the Pathios Evangelical channel. Is that correct? Or the Um, family channel? Yeah, the family channel and the entertainment channel. Awesome. We'll plug those sites as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Nancy. Great. Have fun, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.